Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I continue to learn about the initiatives from small business owners, students, student founders, educators, edtech founders, civic officials, nonprofit executives, healthcare executives, technology experts, technology startup founders, and even oil and gas tech startups. These individuals have shared their stories in person during the pre-COVID period and remotely throughout the COVID and the quasi-COVID opening periods. Out of 86 podcasts recorded and released so far in 2021, I had the privilege of learning about the important support network of Woods Homes from clinical coordinator David Williamson during episode 309. As I learned, Woods Homes provides treatment and support for children, youth, and families with mental health needs, a service that has become increasingly important during the COVID pandemic. Take the time to consider learning more about and possibly donating to Woods Homes and their many programs, including the Albo Springs Counseling Service. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast from whatever app you access your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. I also invite you to leave a review. This will allow others to easily find the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Good morning and welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host and for episode number 320, uh, I've got James Lockery from Thin Air Labs. James, introduce yourself and yeah, introduce yourself. <laughs> All right. Uh, so James Lockery, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Thin Air Labs. Uh, I'm essentially a technology entrepreneur who has kind of put in motion some uh, some things to do some investing into uh, innovation companies in Calgary and Alberta. You know, your name has come up and, I, you know, from 300 odd podcasts, the Thin Air Labs. Came, and it, I just want to go there. Is, is Jim Gibson part of Thin Air Labs? Yeah, Jim Gibson was one of our founding partners who okay. uh, who helped us in the early stages kind of bring things together. He's now uh, putting most of his attention into SAIT and other projects, but still yeah. uh, still one of our founding partners who uh, who has some influence. Yes. Now, I, mean, I apologize for going there, but it's because I saw one of the posts you made recently. But yeah, there's that digital transformation program up at SAIT. And Jay, I don't know if you know Jason Tate. Jason was on the podcast, friend of the podcast. He's been on two. And we kind of went there a little bit during, he had a session with some students up from, from uh, computer science students. So I guess Jason teaches a couple of the courses with, with uh, Jim Gibson up there. So yeah, well, anyway. such, like the education space, is such an important place for, for Alberta today. Well, I mean, that, that, that whole, I mean, you, you went to UFC, you were, you were CTO or not CTO, sorry, you were a computer science grad. Is that right? Or, well, I went to, I went to the university. I don't have a grad. I'm not, <laughs> But you've been a tech guy for a while. It looks like. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned how to write software when I was young. Uh, my dad was a software engineer. He uh, uh, he worked for Ontario Hydro, so he did a lot of work in the nuclear plants. Um, and it, you know, he was an immigrant. He came over and and got this yeah. kind of wild job eventually. And uh, so I was exposed to this aspect of technology and innovation. I actually got to go to some of the nuclear plants as well when I was wow. young. So I had this really interesting perspective. But what 
the key was access to computers was really hard when I was a young guy. Um, but there was a radio shack in between my elementary school and my house. And that's where <laughs> yeah. I really got into it. It was just being in, being in the right place at the right time and having access to it. And then, you know, understanding that, oh, it, you, you can play video games on these little machines. This is awesome. Oh, and then you can make them. That's even more awesome. And that's kind of how it happened for me. It was just that interest built over time. Why do you, you bring a radio shack is, is amongst many things, but the digit, like that electronic building, those little, whatever you could build, electronic gadgets. And that, you know, there's that doctor that was, it was called the, you know, the, it would buzz if you touch the wires, but like that, <laughs> that came, but radio shack, I had the battery club. I, some, some, I said that to some of the other day, I go, yeah, you used to go to radio shack and get any battery. And now you can't, you, you, you can't go anywhere to find a battery. You got to get it on Amazon. Yeah. You go to Amazon. That's right. So, well, look, this, I mean, the thin air, come I literally, you came up with this out of thin air, didn't you? The name, where'd you come up with that name? I love the name. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't remember the moment I came up with it. Um, but I do remember that when I did come up with it, I knew I was right. I knew it was the right thing for us. Um, it was really, I was struggling with, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that really pays attention to, uh, uh, to branding around how things feel, you know, in the, in the brand. And I was trying to figure out how do I come up with a brand that represents Calgary and Alberta and our focus here, and this is where we want to build, and this is where we want to be headquartered, um, and then mix that with innovation and and uh, and business and the, those types of things. And thin air came up. You know, it was pretty easy to think about the thin air of the mountains. Yep. You know, we yeah uh, do that, and then it just uh, as we explored the topic, it was you know things come out of thin air, and um, you know if you don't act on them quickly, they disappear into thin air too. So. It was the labs the, component. Are you, is it a lab where people, sorry, I cut you off there, but are you, is it, you know, the, you win white lab coats and you've got science <laughs> people. That kind of. No, no, definitely not. Although we do have science people that are often in the office uh, and I have worn a white coat once before when I had to. Um, but the, uh, it, it really is coming down to that aspect of build and we build in a very experimental world and we don't know the answer to the, the problems that we're trying to solve. We're trying to find those solutions. So it is a laboratory type of mindset that you have right. experimentation, agility, you know, open-mindedness, brainstorming um, that has to be present as we continue to solve these similar problems in different companies. Okay, so the, the genesis for it, could you, is this, I look back and you kind of, it looks like you're building this for a couple of years before you came out. Was it pre-COVID? It was a year or two before COVID. I would... It was, um, I think it was around September, 2018. We really came together. Um, I, by a year later, it was, we had a sense of the company we wanted to build and how we right. wanted to build it and, and, and uh, how we wanted to act in the world. Uh, and then we spent some time over the next six months really executing against that. And then uh, COVID hit. Yeah, and then it was, that was different. So, I mean, we'll go there in a second, but, you know, in terms of that, the start, are you a true, are you venture capital kind of putting an accelerator? Could you describe that? In yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say we're an accelerator or incubator or anything like that. Um, venture capital is something that somebody could say we are that because um, we do have components of that as well. I, again, I go back to the fact that I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I came to this journey of not saying I want to be a venture capitalist or being an investor or, or, or uh, running an accelerator or anything like that. My goal was to build big businesses. That's it. I wanted to work with great people who are doing amazing things. I wanted to partner with them and I wanted to go on that journey and enjoy it with them. 
But at the end of it, I wanted us to have an amazingly strong global scale business. And so when I went into the weeds of a company that how do you make that happen? Yep. There's models out there, right? There's, you know, you can go into Silicon Valley, pick, pick any model to kind of fit it. I, I just created something with my team that focused on how do we build big businesses? And that's where the labs came from. And it, and it really became something that was focused on investing in really, really early stage companies and helping them go through the process of maturing into something that becomes more predictable and has a better chance of survival long-term. You know, I listened to you say that, and it reminds me a lot. I was listening to a podcast by um, Michael Siebel from y-, y Combinator, and he was talking about the early days of Justin TV, which then became Twitch. And it's just like, find that personal pain point, because then you'll scale it. You can scale it. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. You can, I guess you can, as you said, Silicon Valley, you referenced Silicon Valley, but there's, there's a lot of examples where they're just, you know, why aren't the big ones doing it already? You, you think Google's there, Facebook's there. Even there's a series, uh, Andreessen or uh, Greylock put a series out on in the cloud. You know, you can, there, there's so many people hanging along the cloud where, you know, Google, Amazon, and uh, Microsoft are dominating and they're just tagging along on the edges. So that, do you, I mean, you, so you've started the, have you got a portfolio now? Can you share maybe, maybe not specific companies, but just, some of the sectors you're, you're focused yeah, on? Yeah, happy to, happy to show. Yeah, we've got a portfolio. I, I can't remember the exact number. I should know it. I think we're up to 27 companies uh, in the wow. portfolio. Um, and it, we're generalist investors. So we, we look at every sector um, in the market with the exception of energy. Um, we stay away from energy because there's, in, in Alberta, there's amazing energy investors already in play. Why do they invest? They, they really don't. Uh, and we don't know that sector that well either. So we're generalists and we look at all kinds of things. My background comes from uh, more in the financial services world in software. And so I can see plays there pretty easily. I love working in those types of companies. And we have a number of uh, really good companies in the enterprise SaaS and financial services world. Uh, and in fact, our, those are our fastest growing and also more mature companies that, that we're seeing. Um, the other areas that we're really excited about, one in particular, I think is uh, important in Alberta is the life sciences space where I would say close to half of our portfolio now is in life sciences in one way or another, whether it's just software that supports life sciences, devices for uh, you know collecting information and helping uh, with uh, biofeedback. And then the, the final part is uh, the diagnostic space. We have, uh, uh, we're looking at that, the diagnostics. So like in labs, diagnostics in labs or? Yeah, the, yeah, actually cancer diagnostics yeah, is yeah. one of ours that uh, that I, I'm quite curious about how seeing how that one goes over over time. It's interesting you say that because it, it, pre-COVID, I, I'd been working with a company out of Toronto and they were using AI for for still and, and video imagery. And so I saw that the landscape changing pre-COVID, but COVID's hit and I, today the amount of innovation and I, the Beyond Tech founder was, he was on the TC, the Tech Crunch Disrupt. I don't know if you caught him. He was on that about a few weeks back in September. And he literally said, we were working, we were rolling into 2020 and we were doing cancer research and our technology was you know, helping specific cancer patients. He said, somebody from, I think Moderna came to him and said, look, can you apply your technology to MNR or Excel, you know, that vaccination? Or, I, I'm not going to get the, forgive me, I'm wrong in that, but he's like, yeah. So that's, you know, that's where BioNTech went to and that space. So it's incredible amount. I've just seen a ton of, you know, the life sciences, both private and public. So uh, the, the, I guess that's where you're going to hit your early stage if you catch them in the lab and then 
Well, I, I think it's also important to recognize, even though we see so much money going into research and um, in all kinds of areas inside the life sciences space, we have not seen this area of our economy modernized like we have seen other areas. And that's happening today. And I think the opportunity for us in making healthcare more efficient, more effective, um, uh, more accessible uh, is really potent today. But more importantly, I think the outcomes we can drive by uh, utilizing innovation in the treatments in medicine is a whole game-changing step that we're yet to go through in, in that industry. I think that's, a, you know, there's that, it's not the low-hanging fruit, but there's so much opportunity because the industry, you've probably heard it yourself, different uh, thought leaders on this, that the sector is ripe for innovation yeah. because the, the incumbents have not really, there's no incentive to, I, I, you know, or, or the IT stack is... They just don't want to change it. Yeah, and you know it's it's heavily regulatory, right? Regulated, of course it yeah. is. It should be. Um, and in those situations, you find uh, the adoption of innovation is much much slower, uh, just because of the types of cultures that are inside of that. And that's not to point the finger at anybody. It's just that's the reality of that yeah. industry. Um, and it just takes some dif differing mindsets to be able to move us forward more quickly than we are today. You know, it comes to mind, Jason Starrett, I had him for the Castex Ventures team. I'm, you probably know them. And, you know, he said that lab from the lab, that lag time used to be nine years or whatever it was from the lab to commercialization. Now it's, it's much shorter. And I think technology and I, I, that BioNTech example and, thing, and people like Ginkgo Bioworks, they're taking that synthetic biology from the lab and treating it like it's the coding or changing DNA. And some of that, they're just quicker to market because of some of that. Is that, are you seeing that where they can get to market quicker because of technology or moving uh, from the lab? Not really, although I'm starting to see some regulatory uh, movement around uh, fast tracking is, is becoming more and more important. I think governments in general are, are starting to tip towards the point of um, managing healthcare costs without cutting costs. Yeah. I think one of the keys that, um, uh, because we we've seen what's happened in Alberta when the when you start doing fiscal um, when you're trying to be fiscally responsible inside the healthcare industry and they cut and they close down hospitals you, yeah and then all of a sudden you're in a, a pandemic and you know you're you're in a, a in a bad spot if you're in an innovative mindset around saving costs and making things more efficient while driving better outcomes yeah you know you can handle those issues a little bit more effectively in using innovative mind, uh, innovative practices, rather than just saying, Hey, we got to cut 20% of the budget. You know, it's interesting. I've had a few guests on the medical side and it was Jordan Volrath from uh, the cherry health team. And he's oh. like, I'm, I'm a, look at least I like learned about the locum is this locum network of physicians or medical doc. They can't get gigs because the, they didn't have the information. He said, Google, he said, Facebook work groups are so fragmented. I, I didn't know whether there's something available, what's clinic, and it was this whole thing. And and he's I don't know if he's striving, but he's they're they're on something really important uh, to get people just to communicate specifically on getting work in the clinics. Yeah, that's an amazing example. I, I had a conversation with Jason and his team about what they were doing. It is an amazing example of taking a very very niche problem and yeah. think about the impact of solving that problem. Just like on the individuals themselves. Okay, you're gainfully employing people more effectively. 
But the second part of that is you're actually becoming more efficient in your healthcare delivery as a well, uh, as an association, right? Well, how I got a problem, that, right? I show up at the clinic and he doesn't have staff because he doesn't know where, you know, I think it, it's got a multiple effects. I think yeah. to your point, like you can be more efficient. Wow. You can get remedies and maybe more targeted uh, responses to there's another fellow. Again, he's, he's really early stage. He's a computer science grad, Noel Thomas. And he's like, during COVID, my brother slammed his finger in the door. So I had him on the, he's, he's got, he's just, he said, I need to create this thing for, uh, I can't remember the terminology, but he's like, right, right there. I need to diagnose it. And, and see, do I need to go to this clinic or that clinic? And he's like, it wasn't, it's Google didn't tell, Google said amputation. You know, like what he said, because that was what Google search came up. Yeah, based on the symptoms. And he's like, my little brother slammed his finger in the door when, you know, in my day, you slammed it and you get purple and you got a, a sutured, sutured, whatever it was. So anyway, just. Uh, Dr. Google. I, I don't know if I would trust Dr. Google that much. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you, I know you had, so we, you and I talked a little bit offline about, you know, the, uh, your social media element, I, you got Leah Sarch. I, she, she just has that. She, she, she bleeds, uh, media and her history there. And I love the name head of story. Yeah. Yeah. Did you come up with that? You guys came up. That's, what, that's I don't know where that one came from. We, you know, here's the thing. We, we play in the sidelines of the way that normal business thought processes happen. So when we come up with somebody unique, like Leah coming into an organization, and uh, you know, coming to do something really specific, we can we can be really, you know, colorful with the way that we title people, right? So, like uh, head of story, it, but it, it points to exactly what she does: is yeah. she's in charge of our stories, and it's not just our stories; it's the stories of our portfolio companies, it's the stories of our communities, it's, yeah, uh, and, and the people within it. Um, so, you know, I think that was one of the. I was really lucky. Do you know how she, I don't know if you, she's ever told you, but um, no, she came to an event we were doing and uh, afterwards she came up to me and said, this is amazing. What you guys are up to is really cool. I'm interested. How do I get involved? And it was in that moment. And I was like, you know, I'm actually sitting here talking to Leah Sarich. I've seen her on TV all the time. Like, what the hell is going on here? Where did she come from? And you want to work with me? Oh yeah. Okay. That's Let's have that good. conversation. So it was, uh, it was a very fortunate uh, coincidence that she was there at the right time. And just for whatever reason, she heard what we said and really enjoyed and, uh, and wanted to jump in. And it's been, it's been amazing ever since because the, the way that she can connect with people and, and especially today where a lot of things are virtual and she's used to the, 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 the screens, um, the way that she's able to connect with people, get them to talk, make them feel comfortable, train them in advance of, yeah. of the media that they're doing. Uh, it's really powerful. And uh, it's a much needed thing, especially in Alberta, where we don't tell our stories at all. People don't know what's happening in Alberta around the world, not just in Canada, but around the world. People just well, I, don't really know. There's, I mean, there's, and there's a lot. Like I, I pre-COVID, I had a, a discussions with, um, he's part of Alberta Innovates, uh, Niraj Gupta. And he, you know, he's, he says exactly to your point. He said that there's little countries like, uh, Sweden, which is much smaller than Canada, and they managed to get the word out through whatever it is. But their innovation, he called it. He called it chaos. He said it's it's controlled yeah. chaos in Sweden, and from that comes a lot of you know. Just they're not trying to be the expert in any one specific sector. And he said Alberta can do that well, and that, that was a couple of years ago. But uh, you know, I think from your your words, I think that we could do as an Alberta story, and that I think that Lisa Aliyah hits right into that that story. Yeah. You know, and I think it's also important, and I don't want to uh, um, 
if, if Leah or when Leah watches this, hi Leah, I know you're going to watch. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, I don't <laughs> want to lessen the impact that she has uh, because what she does is really great at elevating everything else that yeah. happens. But it's not a necessary thing. This is the other thing that's that's interesting. We're doing that to raise the profile of not only ourselves, our community, and 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 our portfolio companies so that they can sell to more customers, attract yeah. more capital, all of these things. But it's truly the entrepreneurs underneath it doing all the work that makes everything successful. We tell the story so that we can make everything around that look great and bring in more attention to what we're doing and more attention to what they're doing. But it's not necessary for success of an individual venture. And that's right. what's kind of, um, you know, the, the thing about media that people can get really kind of locked into is the, their need for it. The need, the true need in a venture is to drive success every single day. And the media isn't necessary if you do that. Um, well, great. But see, if you take that that in the lab, right? If you take the, they always say, often they say, Jeff, if you could see Jeff Bezos or if you could see, you know, the, the early days of with those those creators and see what they were doing. You'd, and, and that's back to the Twitch. When he said, when they were doing Twitch, the guy had a monkey cam. They did the monkey cam. He's like, you're not going to, and he showed the website. So Michael Sibel shows how to get the MVP. He goes, he showed the early websites. He goes, they're not at all like they are today. So if you could show that migration, you, it's, it's a story you can share. It's not necessarily, like you said, it's not necessarily important, but for those, you know, the founders that are really in the lab, right? Grinding, I'm not going to use the word grinding it out. And they're just, and at the end of the day, they, they come out of stealth or wherever. And suddenly you've got this beautiful thing. Michael Siebel, the Y camera said, show it early and show it often. Yeah. So <laughs> but I want you, you know, I, I'm sorry, I got to say this. I mean, for those, the two listeners are watching this. I mean, I think I'm, I'm talking to Tony Stark because literally you're like, you rolled out and you look like, you know, we're doing a, a presentation. Of, I'm interviewing, uh, you know, Tony Stark for Iron Man, the next episode. So I have to say that. <laughs> well, that's flattering and completely untrue because I, I, I don't have a suit and I don't fly. Yeah. You're not Robert Downey Jr. in, in uh, Robert Downey Jr., that's for sure. Yeah. But so you were on, you had, uh, I guess the podcasting seems to be, you were, you had a, a show, a stint with uh, Tyler Chisholm over on Collision. Oh, yeah. But, Tyler and I are friends. Yeah. So, I, and, and the, the post came, he's got that beard going now, but I had, I had Tyler on episode, I'm just, I had to make notes here, episode 44, way back. I mean, so you're a few, you're a few ahead of him now, or he's behind you a bit. But, you know, he talked a lot about that you know, the reaching, how to, you know, touching points at today's landscape, the marketing side, did you get, did he give you some lessons on how to reach your portfolio companies, how to reach LPs? And did you, did you go there at all? Uh, I didn't with Tyler. No. Um, you <laughs> uh, know, I, you know, from a marketing standpoint, um, I don't really think a lot about marketing. If I'm being honest, uh, the, the stage of company we work with, um, really it's about building and validating the product in the market and once you get that validation where you understand like oh people want to buy it they want to buy it at this price point they're going to keep yeah. using it all that stuff once you got that figured out that's when marketing becomes really important and uh so i really like working into that phase because once you get past that phase it becomes a little bit more of an assembly line type of business that's an exaggeration but that's not where my enjoyment comes from but on the marketing side of of how we think about it, it really is story. It's about yeah. this uh, branded uh, image of whether it's a portfolio company, our community at large, what Thinner Labs is. I think that's the key is we want people to understand what we do and how we do it. 
so that we are always working with and attracting the right types of companies sure. or people or capital uh, into what we're up to. And um, yeah, I don't really worry about anything else other than doing that. It's um, so for us, it's the most important thing is ensuring we're always working with the right types of companies because there's all kinds of companies out there. You know, there's 3000 tech companies in Alberta. We work with maybe 2% of them. So that's a, that's an important distinction, and that's where marketing and storytelling comes in importantly for us. So I did one of the reason I said it because there was a post that came up that I, I following the collision YYC on I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter, and just said an accredited investor. This is what he posted that an accredited investor heard the podcast, and then he reached out somehow you know to get how can I how can I participate in Thin Air Labs, and it it just it just it spoke to me of as the the, the touching points. So that what one thing that when I was when Tyler was on my podcast, we were talking about. He said, in 1990 or early 2000, there was maybe 15 or five people had to had to talk to an organization. Now it's up to 10 because everyone can access that information. So that accredited it just got me thinking. I wonder that accredited investor he saw that, but then there's other his conversation with you, maybe some of the tech, maybe your portfolio, some you know that that build up of the four or five points to get to him to say, all right, I'm ready to invest in Thin Air Labs, which. Then it brings me to my question: When you get to the how how often do you meet with portfolio companies before you before you trigger? You got um, that's variable. Um, yeah. So there are times when I have worked with portfolio companies for a number of years before we've actually made the investment. Yeah. And that's just in a belief system that you know in the people, the product, the market they're going after, and it's not like we invest an inordinate amounts of time or 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 money. Uh, to get them ready to be investable. It's um, it's just this place where these early stage companies, they need a little bit of guidance to get ready and be successful as they, as they launch themselves. And a lot of investors will say, come and see me in six months after you've done A, B, and C. Yeah. And instead of doing that, what we do, because they're so early and because these really great opportunities come along so rarely is we say, why don't you come and sit beside us here and hang out with us? For a couple of months and we'll see if we can get you investment ready nice. and that gives them the opportunity to work closely with us and take a little bit of what we can bring to the table for them but it also works really well into our advantage of us understanding the company much more effectively understanding the people their motivations behind it how they work uh and then as things become progress we can make the decision whether we want to invest in the company or not if it's on track so you invite them to the to the lab or to your offices or, or is it virtual? I guess during COVID, it's, it's anything and everything, right? It's yeah. um, you know I don't we have an office. It's a big office and it's a big office because we want people in there through yeah. COVID. That's kind of been you know haphazard, and then um, you know we're always used to you know video calls or something. I've been doing for twenty years, right? When COVID hit and everybody's like, oh, uh, I got to learn Zoom. I'm like, okay, finally. Thank you. Because I, I literally had that. So I, there's an MBA student I've been mentoring uh, last year. I mentored last year at UFC, at Haskane. And he's like, oh, and he's, he was in Regina. And he's like, oh, I hate these videos. I said, dude, I was in Kazakhstan, I was in Kazakhstan working for the World Bank. And we were the lamp in 2003. And it's like, are they there? Literally, they, the guys from Washington would roll up with a coffee. And the video is like, and they'd be tapping the thing, you know, the big star phone. And then it would go, oh, they're gone. No, no, we can hear you. And then literally, this was nearly 20 years ago. Nothing's I love changed. that. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. changed. We're just all using it now. Yeah. Yeah. So look, the, the, there's something I saw on your website, and then you mentioned earlier a bit about getting in early. And there's, you know, that, I don't know if you noticed the trend. There's a, there's a company called Tiger Global. 
Yeah. And I listen to TechCrunch podcast, the equity, and they always talk about the themes are going to SPACs or whatever. And when Tiger was, they're like, wow, Tiger's in again. So it was before it was, you know, a couple of years ago was uh, the, um, the, there's other, there's that other big one, the, the Japanese. Oh, right. Yeah. Stop it. So stop it. But then suddenly Tiger's in there. So he's like, Tiger's moving back into the early stage. And that, I think you're into something really important because the, not the value, the value creation is pre pre IPO or the value creation is in those early days. Like you said, don't wait for six months to come to us, show us what you're doing over the next six months. Yeah. So that, I mean, there's, that's a trend that I've seen you, not me, but that's a trend that seems to be happening with Tiger and SoftBank. SoftBank is, I think they've adjusted a well from the WeWork saga, yeah. but um, so do yeah. you have, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, you know, I think that the main difference for us is we're probably one of the earliest stage investors in Canada, period. And it's because we really want in there, like I've invested in companies before they've had anything, like even a company, really, um, if it's the right people, the right play. Yeah. The, the thing that's different about that is there's, there's so much risk, so, so much risk pre-product or sure. pre-product validation, right? And there's high failure rates in that area. And we like that because we're really good at figuring those pieces out with people. And so we're helpful in ensuring that we get to product validation. And once you're on the other side of that, that's when we tend to see the Tiger Globals and all these other people come in and, uh, and do their- Yeah, because you've de-risked it, right? We've de-risked well, a piece of it. We've de-risked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, but the, that's that, as you said, that product validation. I, again, I take the almost the validation of one. So there was a woman during COVID I had a chat with and she said, yeah, it was a, it was an elder, elder care. Cause they didn't want to go to those homes because I didn't want, I didn't want my grandpa to go to that home. And so that validation of one becomes very important build on that. And then the validation in your community, I, I, you know, Alberta's got a lot of problems, but if you come up with solutions or not Alberta, but everywhere has, has, but if you come up with solutions that are around your community, I don't know if you're finding that, so that validate, how quick can you validate that well, around? Well, I think that's another piece of the, the uh, criteria that we look at for making an investment is, so we look at a few things. How early are you? Are you in the right range? Yeah. Um, is, your, is the product or service that you're building, can it go out at global scale? So we're yeah. not trying to have regional winners. We want global winners. And then the third piece of that, um, Oh God, I lost my train of thought. I hate when that happens. You know, 51 years old. What was it? Oh yes, the most of the human impact. The human impact side of things. So when you talk about validation in the market, what we're trying to do in, in that is partner with companies that are truly trying to help human beings. And that having a service or a product that does that yeah. and does it at global scale, it's quite remarkable what can happen with the economics of the business in those situations because people will continue to buy your product. It doesn't matter where the price point, or it does matter where the price point is, but they'll pay more for your product sure. uh, if it's creating a lot of human value for them. They'll continue using their product even when they can't really afford to uh, because it's creating a lot of value. And then they're going to tell all their friends about it. So oh. in those scenarios, that's, that's the human value chain that translates into ROI and an investment. Do you have a success story you want to share or you're still toured? I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put you on a spot, but is there something, maybe you could just talk about the sector. Cause you've mentioned life sciences being half your portfolio. Is there something that's come out of that lab validation that you think is, wow, kind of like, and I take the Jordan Volroth and the, the cherry health. He just yeah. found that, that little, and he's picked that he's picked a cherry from the tree and gone right at it. Yeah. There, there, I love working in the life sciences space because it allows my imagination to run to all of these great places of, the, these things that are 
potential helps for human beings. And you can just, it's not a stretch to see it in your mind actually helping somebody. There's one company in particular that I've been working with now for, uh, I wanna say four years now. I think I worked with them for two years pre-investment and it's been almost two years since we made the investment. And it's a company called Cyantra and uh, they are a blood test for cancer. And okay. uh, coming out of the University of Calgary, uh, the chief science officer, Tina Rinker is the uh, head of early cancer detection at the university. Her husband is the CEO of the company. Uh, both of them are biomechanical engineers and been working on this problem for a long time and have just commercialized their product, their test, which identifies triple negative breast cancer just through a blood sample. And it's at 96% effectiveness of early detection. Um, so think, think about it as a precursor to the, uh, the mammogram. So you, this is the first screen as a blood test uh, and it can be done at your you know, annual physical. What I love about this company is, A, that is amazing. Triple negative breast cancer is the most deadly kind of breast cancer in the world. It takes millions of people's lives. It's devastating yeah. to, to, to society. What an amazing thing to come up with. They believe they can do this for every cancer. And they have already got four new tests in, in, uh, in development right now for other types of cancers. And so I can see a world and maybe they don't get there. Maybe it's a competitor or maybe it's a collection of different things. I can see a world where, I don't know, maybe in eight to 10 years, we're going to the doctor, we're getting that vial of blood taken out and they're doing a screen on all types of cancers for us. Uh, and that early detection saving millions of lives across the world. Um, it, yeah, that's, that's something like, oh my God, that's worth getting out of bed and doing this work for, right? So that see that's I mean, whether that story is, is shared or, or got, I mean, that right there was the story. I mean, it's, it's I, I think you touch a lot of people. I don't you know, my sister and, and anyone else that my friends or relatives that I know have been touched by some that we, the conversations at the dinner table is usually. And I think that innovation is going to help a lot of people might not today, but that's I go back to that beyond tech and some of these GNA, you know, they're going right to the DNA the DNA, the DNA, they're going right to the DNA and taking cells and saying, how can we apply whatever's happened in nature from the lab, from nature, back, you know, that trifecta or whatever you want to call it. So I, yeah, that, yeah. those are those good feeling stories. I mean, yeah. that, and, and I think that the key thing that we're seeing here is this intersection with medicine and software. And yeah. the combination of those two things together is very powerful, but they come in conflict right? Because medicine is, well, let's start with software is kind of a mathematical scientific, you know, process of, uh, it's also artistic though, but in medicine, yeah, there are rules and yeah, you know, the parts of the body, but it's a real art, right? There is no, no two people are the same. No two people are going to react the same way. So there's almost chaos in medicine as well. Bringing those two things together has been, uh, it's challenging yet rewarding because when they work together, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's an amazing thing. You, you should, I, I can't remember the name, the, the CEO of Ginkgo Bioworks. Literally, he's like, so imagine the code. That you, that's where you, the world you understood. He goes, imagine the code. You change it on the code and you, you spit out something. So, so we take the, the DNA or the, you know, the, the 13, whatever it is, and, he, and we change that around. And we give it to someone like Twist Biosciences. And she was on, the, this was on the call or on the conference thing, the webinar. And I'm like, so now we're, you know, we get a, he said, for example, this company making blue jeans, they want to make, instead of having these synthetic dyes, they want to make it take natural dyes. So we're going to help them with their, the genetic makeup of the dye from plant, whatever it is. So the, the, the biology is all around us. 
So that's where the life sciences really come into every single thing like that hitting home with cancer detection. It's around you. But as you said, that technology can have multiple applications. So yeah, and, and importantly, as well within our labs is it, it's easy to speak altruistically about these businesses and what we're yeah. trying to do. And, and it's what drives us as human beings. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning is that mission. The important thing is we're also here to make money and sure. we have investors, we have responsibilities to return capital. And so that's, we're looking for, uh, we're looking to use capitalism to make these changes in society. And as we continue to make money, we just want to continue to do it over and over and over again. And so that's kind of the, the thing that you have to match with this altruistic type of sure. mission we have is this very standard, very basic uh, commercial opportunity that we're acting on. We're also entrepreneurs. This is how we keep score. So we, uh, we're looking for these types of companies that not only can make these impacts, but can make uh, massive returns. Like when I think about Cyantra, this cancer company, it's not impossible to see it being worth $100 billion one day if they continue to do the right things and go to market and, and get adopted the way it could be adopted. Um, that's a long, long shot, but that could happen. What an amazing outcome for Albertans, right? And I think that's, a, that's not lost on me how important the commercial aspect of this is, creating jobs, creating wealth, uh, creating opportunity. Those are really important parts of society that makes us work. And so... Uh, the altruistic side of it is what gets us out of bed. And then the, uh, the capital side of it is what, uh, what motivates. That's where it. your creativity comes from. The, you know, right, can exactly. I marry tech up with this? Can I bring Leah into the store? You know, exactly. can you bring different components? But let, let's go. I want to hit. There's a question I wanted to ask you regarding your that tech. So you got 27 portfolio companies. 50% of them are life sciences. How do you, how do you absorb um, from a first year technical guy, but the non-technical technical, meaning so the medical do you have advisors or on, on staff that, that are like, you know, like the teeny rinkers of the world? Yeah. So we, we have um, a number of PhD researchers on staff. We have obviously an extended network of people uh, in the investment world that have expertise yeah. in this area. Um, we have a lot of our entrepreneurs are already in this space. So there's nothing wrong with calling up one of your entrepreneurs who's a medical expert and saying, hey, I got this weird medical technology thing. Do you, what do you think about it? Nice. You know, where, you know, do you have any peers in the, in the space that you might be able to put me in touch with? So it really is, this is a people business more than yeah. anything else. And so how, you know, it's your team is obviously critically important. And I'm, I'm very, very happy with the, the expertise we have on our team. Um, you can't have you can't be everywhere and you can't, can't be everywhere it, it really is how, how well do you know the the rest of the world and um we we try and put a lot of effort into knowing the rest of the world and helping the rest of the world as well uh so it's um it's just one of those things that when when we're ready to call on people they tend to want to answer us you know, I said that whole going back to the, the sort of pre-COVID and and some of the my view when I was looking at some of the life sciences uh, focused venture in in Boston and New York and, and San Francisco or wherever in London you know the UK a lot of them would have on their deck they'd have the Goldman Sachs or whoever but also the PhDs the medical doctors the pharma and that that's just gotten you know I think the opportunities for life sciences folks if they're not going to go work for Tina and it's a Scienta you know if there's an opportunity to maybe be on the venture side. Or, you know, there's, I think of, I think of the students because you're right in the university or they're, you know, they're where the students are and they're like, there's no jobs for, there's no gig. Where's, where do I work coming out of life sciences? Yeah. 
what do you say? I mean, maybe you have a view on that one, James. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think that it, I think that problem exists in a lot of places and a lot of different types of industry. But um, in life sciences, yeah, there is just a lot. There's a lot of pathways. I think there's some traditional ones, obviously, that that everybody thinks about pharma, um, uh, obviously medical care and those types of things. Yeah. But there are, I think, in the innovation space where I can see it, there's there's a need for an understanding of how the system works, of how doctors think, of how yeah. patients react. Um, you know, I think that the regulatory frameworks that over that have oversight over the over the industry, it's critical that you have understanding of of how certain parts of those systems work, so you can get to market effectively. Um, so there's ways that people that have an understanding of that part of the world can help other people like me who are trying to uh, play inside of it on the peripheral of it. You know, it's um, so for sure, whether that's coming in and doing research or, you know, evaluating investments or helping these investments uh, accelerate, there's there's all kinds of ways that uh, our team helps them. Interesting, because that you know, like the the gaming or esports e and the gaming, there's that non, you know, the you mentioned some things there, you know, the knowing the the medical landscape or maybe the confidentiality, are you the privacy or you know that 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 exists with data and how to parse that data. And I, there was a Google, I don't know, there was something that caught my attention, and it was it said Google runs afoul of some health. It was a health thing. It was I get this Med City news, and I I clicked on it. It was like Google is trying to create the search. For there, there was a network of I can't remember who it was and whatever their healthcare system, fifty different hospitals, except you know list of things they want to do the Google search for them, and it's like ah then you get into you know then of course then you get the medical what you cross state boundaries and I like I think Google just said forget it we're not going to do that but I don't you know so that there is a complex web and not everyone can ha handle every single aspect of that web. Yeah, you know? uh, for sure it's yeah the medical industry because it's so divided up because it's so bureaucratic because it's so heavily regulated it's it's one of the most difficult industries in the world um it's I mean, when you think about that from the standpoint of being an entrepreneur and deciding hey i'm gonna i'm gonna build a product that does x i'm gonna build a facebook kind of product that's yeah. ubiquitous for society versus i'm gonna build a uh, a medical test that's going to save people's lives well you know facebook you just it goes out into the world whereas in the medical society you have to sell into every different jurisdiction different process different, so there's there's a heck of a lot of com complexity and there's definitely better ways to do it but we're human beings we're bureaucratic beasts so i i don't think we're we're gonna see an end to the regulatory and, and bureaucratic frameworks within our big institutions I think it just takes adoption in one step at a time. One, the community and, and to scale. I mean, if, how do you scale globally? You got to start. I know it's not my thesis, but you know, you start local, and you find that pain point. Like you know, the breast breast cancer is meeting or that find that detection. It's meeting. First of all, fifty percent of the population across the globe could benefit indirectly, but specifically to people that are affected or will be could be affected. That's a, whatever the GNA markers. There's those like I think. Angelie Jolie, she literally just had, I think, mastectomy is called, you know, because of, she had the DNA markers for a precursor to, you know, to cancer. So, yeah. yeah. So imagine that scenario if she could just do a blood test every year and then, oh, it comes up, then you take action rather than yeah. taking action out of, out of the fear, right? Well, look, James, I, you know, I, 
I apologize for your time. You've got, you know, you're, you're, uh, you've got another podcast to get to, I'm sure. But look, what's, what's, uh, what kind of technology focus are you? Uh, look, forget the science side, or but the technology for your tech stack. Can you share some of that for your your clients or for you, helping them? I guess back office, front office, anything you want to share that's innovative. Uh, anything, everything. <laughs> uh, I think that's the thing is uh, we we don't have a tech stack. We. Uh, our businesses create their own technologies. Uh, they, they use whatever they think is the most appropriate thing to solve the problem that they're doing. And that's the thing about it. There's people will have choice of, as to what they use uh, to be able to do these types of uh, solutions. Um, so when it comes to technology, it's more of a mindset of, are we using the right product to solve yeah. the right problem? Uh, and is it effective, efficient, all of those things? Um, so yeah, we use everything. Like everything. Well, I mean, how, how do you, in the landscape, just in the lens of things moving in, in virtual marketing and healthcare, it's moving 90 miles an hour. What do you say to your team? Like there's news. And what do you say to your team on that? How do you advise them to, to manage that? that? I, I, you know, I think we all just understand that inherently. I think the people that uh, come to Thin, Thin Air Labs and are successful there have that mindset in, ingrained in who they are. We're we're constantly in a world that's shifting and every single day there's a new product, there's a new something, yeah. there's a better way, there's all of that. So you always have to just be thinking about, you know, going to that next step, learning that next thing, being able to uh, do the little bit of research required to be able to understand if that's the right thing for us to be involved with. Uh, it's just, that's the way the world today. If you're not going to learn what's coming up, you're just going to get left behind and at thin air. That's just not an acceptable thing for any of us. So you can um, be gasping for thin air. No, wait, was it? Yeah. That, <laughs> but here, Alan, I'll tell you a little something <laughs> yeah. that might surprise you. I'm not a big fan of technology. I don't use it very often. And when I do, I normally screw it all up. So it's, uh, I leave that to other people there. You know, I I'm good at writing software, but that's in my past. Uh, and I just prefer to use my phone to kind of go on Twitter or make a phone call or yeah. you know, that kind of thing uh, or do Zoom. But I'm not a I'm not a big tech guy, actually. You know, there was one of my she had a Kelowna. So Tessa May Marsh, she's a marketing marketing special. And we were talking, uh, I said, so for that mar digital marketing is constantly changing. like literally there's something every week, uh, some new innovation. She said, I, kind of to your point, she said, my, I tell myself to be curious to remain curious and just look for there's an applicable for our clients or for us. And you mentioned, so just learn a little bit, learn, do a little bit of research. And I think that's, that's a valuable advice to, to, and so, cause the, the, if you look at the headlines the news, you better adopt this. I better adopt that your head spinning and you're going to need yeah. to, you're going to need to massage whatever it is. Yeah. Chiropractor. Yeah. I think it's just, a, it's important just to realize the things that we're using today, we're not going to be using in two to three years. And if you know, that's the case, then I think people get really frustrated through the process of change, especially in technology. And um, I just, I'm not going to fight that. I'm just going to be like, okay, the, the phone that I used three years ago is not the phone I'm going to be using in three years from yeah. now. Right. Uh, so how do I, you know, and all the apps on it are going to be updated or new. So that's just life. I remember, yeah, I remember a day when the, you get an app, you could go into the the bookstore and it's like the top 10 apps. Now it's, That's right. Those books are obsolete. And the, talk to, the, the article on the top 10 apps, that changes. I mean, there's a thing called App Annie. I just get it just to see what the top apps are. But I tell yeah. a lot of small businesses, I mean, there's a good opportunity because, you know, because there's so much, how do you get people's attention? I said, if you're a small business startup, look, not the, on your side, but it's like just real small business here in Calgary. I said, go check a look at App Annie. 
maybe it's cheaper than running an ad on the Facebook on the the signboard down you know during the during the elections. It was awful, like how the you know the signboards and everything. Yeah. I mean, run that up on that banner, you'll get my attention. Maybe you'll get someone who's playing the games or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's the, getting people's attention is important. But for some small business, it may be different for some of the startups you're working with. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a different. Uh, the consumer plays are significantly different than they yeah. are for for business or or a very sp- uh, industry specific solution. Yeah. So James, what what's the? I mean, for going forward, like for thin air and your your portfolio clients, you now got COVID, pre COVID, post COVID. What's ex, you know what is important that your clients and and the thin or the portfolio companies should think about, and what do you think is the next couple of years here? Yeah, you know, I think COVID. COVID was uh, an accelerant to almost every tech company. Uh, obviously, some got sideswiped by it, and, and uh, I'm sure some were, were really badly affected by it. Um, inside of our portfolio, we only had one company that was really uh, kind of had a shock to that system, and that was Stellar Algo. And they, oh. they, their company, they, uh, they looked after professional sports teams and put bums in seats. So that kind of their whole thing went, was hit a shock to the system, but they came out the other side really, really well. And I think that's, a, uh, and grew 60% through the, the first nine months of the pandemic, uh, which is a pretty remarkable thing considering their customers doors were shut. So the, I, I think the, the key on this is that we are accelerating so quickly. The ability to accelerate through COVID was remarkable. We saw it in the public markets where all these large cap tech companies took over big, big chunks of the economy. Um, Same thing is happening in the small private uh, areas of of tech. We're seeing mass adoption of technology across many, many areas to solve the problems that were created by COVID and then some because people are now on that bandwagon because you can add on this and add on that. And people are now accepting uh, the adoption of technology in in industries much more readily. So when I look at what's coming next, I think there's uh, a social thing that's at play, like the the fallout of COVID. And if we're on, who knows where where we are on the spectrum of ending of the pandemic, I'm not even going to speculate about that. But the, uh, um, I think the key is there's going to be different, reactions to this point in time are you a company uh, or are you a person that is much more cautious you want to go slow uh, you don't want to take any risks for whatever reason um, and then there's going to be the ones that are going to be like i am going to go faster now than i ever went before and i'm going to outrace everybody and because you're moving slow i'm going to run right through you yeah. and though those that latter one are the types of companies we tend to work with and uh, that we're attracted to. Those are the types of people we are. We want to be aggressive and we want to win in, in markets. And uh, so I think there's that aspect of society is where's, where's the balance going to be? Is it going to be on the slower side or is it going to be on the aggressive side? My gut tells me it's going to be on the slower side and the people that are aggressive in market are going to win big market shares. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. That's kind of like that, you know, that the mentality, the, the Wayne Gretzky of going to the where the puck, you know, where the puck isn't. Yeah. Um, if everyone's going to be on the slower side, the ones that will succeed are the ones that are on the outliers. The yeah. Wayne Gretzky. You know, it's no different than it was, you know, two years ago, three years ago. That we we would say the same thing about being aggressive, acceleration, all those things. It's just I think more more poignant today, given the situation that we're in. What's well, one last thing? Is there opportunities that you've seen? So I'd see, you know, the, the sort of because of COVID and, and people are, are forced to change. Do you see that companies are forced to, you, do you see more opportunities 
ones that didn't innovate and they're now kind of wow they're i don't know if you look at that from the private side but if they're suddenly they're you know the consolidation side of it can you pick up companies on the cheap or is that something you even bother looking at i don't even really look at that i mean um no, we don't really even look at acquisition, really, at, because we focus early. I think there are, when I look at the mature companies in our portfolio, yeah, none of them have made an acquisition to date. Uh, okay. That's not to say they, they won't. Um, but the, I think the thing is, numbers are getting so big once you get later stage. You know, once you get into your C, Series C type of things, the numbers are getting really big. Like valuation inflation is a, is a real thing today. Um, so will that translate into more M&A of smaller companies that aren't able to hit escape velocity? Probably. I guess there's a point that will follow, but I guess that's where your the portfolio, the downstream of your portfolio comes. If they're at Series C or later, then they they probably have that. Was it called? There's a where they buy the um, where they buy the technology of the people. The and yeah, the, you know, I think the again the companies that we tend to work with are the ones that are more insular about the way that they build their companies you know they're building a very specific product uh they're going after a specific market yeah and they don't need a lot of help outside of that these are novel solutions that are coming to market a lot of times new types of markets as well so there's not a lot of other players in there to, to have to gobble up to get market share um so i i think they just think about it in the same way that that uh, uh really good entrepreneurs think about things is I'm going to dominate this market, period. Nice. Nice. I'm going to do that. And our company is going to do that. And then acquisition isn't top of mind for that. James, I thank you for your time today and to dare to dare today. <laughs> and uh, look, I you welcome to revisit this in six to twelve months, or maybe even bring some of your tech stack on tech your guy talking to some students. I have a student series and I'm just I'm shameless plug on that. I brought together 16, uh, 30, 16 episodes, including 41 students just talking to experts like yourself so that's okay. an invitation i'll talk to lee offline because i think it's a you know it's a great opportunity for for students to talk for me to say one thing or to hear a podcast it's another here right from your the yeah. horse's mouth yeah we've got all kinds of people that uh we can point you at especially some of our entrepreneurs who are creating the opportunities in calgary and alberta and and bringing global solutions to market there are some really incredible people there i'm really blessed to have the opportunity to work with them and, and for them to be part of the team at Finner Labs. And it's it's amazing. So uh, yeah, we're more than happy to share those with you. Good. Or other, you know, the other, you've got 37, 27 companies, in, you know, the portfolio. I think that, you know, there's a lot of episodes there, James. We can, yeah, I can 27 sure. episodes, get me to 400. It would be fun. <laughs> we can line them all up. <laughs> Thanks, James. Have a great day and, and uh, stay safe. Yeah, cheers. You